guys, if you have ever had a baby or you know someone who's had a baby, then you are going to get something out of this episode. I am sure of it. We have the beautiful Luca McCabe from Boob to Food joining us today. We talk postnatal depletion. We talk baby led weaning. We talk what you should and shouldn't do as a visitor in someone's home, postnatal. You're going to love it. Episode 16 right now. Hi everyone, I have got a very good friend of mine here with us today and I'm so excited to introduce you to her, although so many of you probably actually already follow Luca's amazing account, Boob to Food, but I've got Luca McCabe here. Thank you so much for joining us, babe. Thanks for having me. Now, Boob to Food is an Insta account with ideas to help guide, nourish and inspire you and your baby's journey from boob to food. So you are... And I'm going to get you to elaborate on this a little bit more. You're a mum, midwife, and nurse, plus a childbirth and parenting educator, like holy hammer. <laughs> Sounds like a lot when you say it all, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. And you're studying as well. Yeah, I am. So, yeah, talk us through what it is that you do and what boob to food is. Like, I know I've just given the bullet point version, but yeah, um, yeah let us in. Um, well, my, I guess my normal day-to-day role, well, at the moment it's just being a mum, <laughs> but generally I work as a midwife, um, but I'm on maternity leave and I am a registered nurse, but I don't currently work as that. And then on the weekends I teach, yeah, birth and parenting classes. So the antenatal classes you come to to learn about how to be a parent. Um, <laughs> yeah. It sounds a bit funny, doesn't it? It does, but thank goodness you do that. (laughs) And then, yeah, when I was on maternity leave, um, which I currently, sorry, still am with Florence, when she turned six months, I started the account Boob to Food, um, which I guess it all sort of stemmed back from when I was um, had my first child, Flynn, who's just turned four, Um, I just found there was a real gap in sort of advice for nutrient-dense foods for babies. It was still really recommended that babies are given rice cereal or Farex or weaned onto cow's milk or, you know, toddler formulas and just all of the baby-led weaning sort of information was just foods that they can pick up themselves but it wasn't actually very good nutrient wise um and then so I kind of went down a different path with Flynn and gave him what might be considered strange foods (laughs) um, (laughs) that I thought was really nutrient dense um so things like liver or egg yolk sardines caviar bone marrow broths that kind of food yeah and I got so many questions about it sort of during his um, formative eating, you know, period from so many of my friends and they would always ask me questions about food and it sort of drove a bit of a passion in me to learn more about it. And then when I had Florence, who's now 16 months, I think, um, I went for her checkup at four months with the GP, the one that you have to do. Yeah. 
And the health nurse there was saying to me, oh, have you started solids yet? And I said, no, the recommendation's six months. And she's like, oh, is it? And I said, it's been six months for about three years now. And, and I just found, and she said, oh, so you'll start on the rice cereal. And I thought, is this still being recommended? <laughs> three, yeah. Three years later, like, have we still not come any further than that? And so it really drove me to start Boob to Food so that information was, I guess, easily accessible to mums. Um, because, yeah, like I said, there's so much information out there, but it's so conflicting. And, um, yeah, so I just, I guess I wanted something that was evidence-based research around, yeah, good nutritious foods for babies that wasn't just derived from um, advertising or marketing um, yeah, like that you see in Coles and Woolies where you walk down the aisles of just advertisements and things that your baby apparently needs that they don't actually need, e.g. rice cereal. <laughs> so that's totally. How yeah. And, and I, I love it. Like I get blown away with all the different things that I wouldn't have ever thought to give my kids or assume that they would eat. Like, yeah. I don't know, I just – it's it's so cool watching your little ones just devour the most normal foods that we just are not traditionally associated with giving to kids, like the seaweed, which <laughs> I'm now seeing in so many kids' lunch boxes and everything. I'm like, my God, that just wasn't it's, done. It's funny when we put our sort of expectations of food onto them and think they won't like this just because we don't like it. Yeah. It's funny that those foods are usually the ones that I find that they love the most. Yeah, because it's – yeah, totally. And, like, you're such a big advocate for bone broth and I've never seen anyone put it in a bottle. And Florence was just, like, all about it. She was showing up for it. And it's yeah. so sensible. Like, it's so smart. Yeah. Yeah, they do like that. I like bone broth too, so I don't find that one too strange. But some of the foods I give them I can't actually stomach myself but that's okay. yeah <laughs> I can't bring myself to eat bone marrow no they I love, freak out love bone marrow. well I'm like such a like I don't I'm terrible in fact actually like I want my boys to be able to eat meat and everything yet I really cringe and struggle to cook it in yeah. that and when I see you going to the farmer's markets and getting like the full big bags of chicken feet and then you put them in your broth I'll always send you a message and I'm like oh my god look at the feet however <laughs> there's the most amazing when you you have a way of breaking it down and sharing why these foods are so nutrient dense and good for you and what the collagen and everything does. So if anyone isn't already following boob to food get on over there regardless of whether you have children or not. It is super inspiring and you make it seem so easy but I'm always learning from you and in fact I went to one of your workshops the other day and one of the many things that you floored me with was the the entire conversation around postnatal depletion. So can yeah. you talk us through what that is? Um, yeah, so it's a, it's a term that's been sort of coined recently, mainly by um, Dr. Sarah Lack, who's sort of brought it back into the forefront. Um, but it's essentially, uh, I suppose it, it's a mother being depleted of her own sources, um, her own sources of nutrients, her own brain cells, her um, 
how to explain it her I guess everything that sort of makes her 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 being depleted um and and how it's it's sort of become a cultural norm to feel like that or just to expect mum brain or to expect feeling frazzled or expect feeling you know absolutely so tired and not yourself and it's it shouldn't be that way and it's not meant to be that way and so now that we have science and research to back us up we've actually been seeing that um you know the especially sort of during breastfeeding, that breast milk, if, if the mother doesn't have the amount of nutrients of a specific micronutrient that she needs, the breast milk um, production will actually pull that nutrient from the mother's own body to enrich the breast milk, um, which will leave the mum depleted. So we have to look after our own self to be able to look after baby. Otherwise, the baby... The baby will be fine and generally thrive because it will take from our stores, mm-hmm, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. And then even say with um, mum brain, they're seeing now that um, if we don't keep up our omega-3s and DHA, um, that is actually taking from, it actually takes from our brain um, to, to provide baby with, with the DHA. And because our brain is sort of the biggest component of it that we have, it'll actually take parts of our brain. <laughs> so mum brain is like a – and baby brain is a real thing. It's a real thing, yeah. Or mumnesia, however you want to oh, call it. Oh, I have it's mumnesia. Awesome. Yeah, like, I do. I, you start, it's like we have these mumversations where yeah. everyone has to pause because they're like trying to recalibrate as to what we were actually having a conversation about. It's like – you know, it's so segmented and you know what? And I just, I'm so glad that we're having these conversations and I'm so glad, like I know you did, I think it was a two part or three part post on it, mm-hmm. um, on your page, because we do as a society, like, cause I'm really fortunate enough to be in, um, like we have very simple, like our friendship circles and everything match up as well. So yeah. often we're turning up there and not as much now because you're on to us but you know like everyone's so exhausted and it was just considered that that's just how it had to be and it's not just the the sleep deprivation side of things because we get that our little monkeys can you know they like to party of a night time sometimes yeah. and so that's one thing but then there's like a different sort of you know you you're like bone tired where you you're uh, like your your life force starts to drain from your body your ability to enjoy things depletes like um and i know that it's not you said something as well like you shocked me with how long this can actually be something that affects you after the birth of your child it's like yeah, up to 10 years up to 10 years you, yeah long time that I'm and like one of the topics one or well, what are the things that would like the textbook symptoms that would categorically describe you know falling under the banner of postnatal depletion what would that look like uh, or what could I that guess, look like well the most common physical symptoms um would probably be one one would be baby brain but to the point of you know really starting to forget things um mm-hmm you know, putting, or just things that are just not you, you know, like putting the, 
I don't know, milk in the cupboard or orange juice in your cup of tea instead of milk or, you know, <laughs> those things that are, that we just sort of associate with sleep deprivation, but it can go further than that. Yeah. Um, and fatigue, it's hard because all of these things are kind of normal postnatal symptoms when you are tired, but this is debilitating fatigue, mm-hmm. that kind of fatigue that you wake up tired and you can't function, you know, effectively as a human. Yeah. Um, insomnia and, and disturbed sleep, so not restful sleep is a big one. Um, when you're extremely sensitive to light or sound, um, so hypersensitivity to those things. And then uh, other things that, that can just be normal, unfortunately, aging things, but things that maybe have been sped up postpartum, so like your loss of your skin elasticity, <gasps> extreme um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we all kind of get that. No gasp. Not the collagen. This is why we <laughs> men. I think I'm sure this is the reason. Um, dry skin when your um, nails soften like more than normal. Thinning hair, which unfortunately also is normal from um, the postnatal period, which I'm getting at the moment. The Kramer um, hair and the sideburns at the top. Yeah. I know it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why they call it a mum bun. You can't wear your hair in a bun because all the little... The mums. wispies. Yeah, I know. They yeah. mum bun, I don't think. Um, and, yeah, like translucency of the teeth is another one. Um, so when the enamel sort of starts going around your teeth and, yeah. and then they look a bit see-through, they're kind of mainly the main ones that you would notice. And then it's sort of... They're the physical symptoms, but then also you, you'll get emotional symptoms and they can kind of mimic postnatal depression. Mm-hmm. However, they don't tend to go into the side of wanting to harm yourself or, or harm your baby or um, psychosis or anything like that, but the, the emotional symptoms sort of will mimic a postnatal depression. So things might be like not wanting to see your friends, not wanting to go out, um, yeah, just, just feeling low and, and just feeling not yourself. That's probably one of the biggest ones. And that's how I was starting to feel as well. Yes, and that's what I wanted to talk about as well. So you have absolutely experienced postnatal depletion. And I, like, I love the way that you shared, the way that it showed up for you. Can you run us through? Because I think you said it was around six months or something when Florence was around six months that it really hit you which surprises a lot of people because we think that you're everyone expects you to be challenged initially but that's not always the case when a newborn and a baby comes into the world is it no that's right yeah I I, personally I find the newborn stage actually nice you know and you do tend to get a lot of support at that time um and you know you're getting hopefully hopefully getting support and, you know, things like meals delivered and your husband might be off work for a little while or your partner. Um, but then I found for me, for the first, sorry, when I had Flynn, he was a bad sleeper all over, but I was okay. I, you know, you only have the one baby and I sort of just managed and felt fine, just a bit tired. Um, whereas Florence, when she was born, um, she was a great sleeper and she came out like this. Honestly, she was such an easy baby. And then she hit... So I sort of, sorry, threw myself back into the gym sort of at six weeks um, because she was so easy and sleeping well. I just really threw myself back into everything and I 
probably in retrospect pushed myself a little bit too far and I started um, this account boob to food which was all a new territory for me too so I found it quite stressful um, and yeah she hit six months and she just turned into the worst sleeper <laughs> <laughs> and she still is and I found it really hard because it's like all those nice hormones that sort of are meant to get you through that period had all sort of gone by then. And all that support that, you know, you have when you have a newborn is also gone and people sort of just expect you to be okay by then yeah. and fine. And that's when it all really hit me. And I, I kept going and kept going for probably the next six months and then she got to about one and I just felt like, I just wasn't myself. I just I was waking up tired, even though I'd had some nights were okay, and I'd still wake up feeling so tired all of the time. Um, and my biggest one was I was really snappy. I felt really constantly on edge, constantly mm -hmm. they say wired and tired. So little things would just make me erupt, and I had no sort of felt like I had no control of my emotions. Um, and I just felt yeah like you know what healthy should feel like and it didn't feel healthy to me at all. I, I stopped wanting to see my friends and going out, which is so unlike me because I'm such an extrovert, <laughs> as you would know. And um, we love you for it. <laughs> I, just, I just stopped going to things. I sort of like hid myself away for a month or two and it was, yeah, and it just sort of all, unfortunately my husband copped the grunt of it all. And, um, you know, but thankfully I kind of, and he noticed too that it, it was just wasn't myself and it's not how I want to be. So, you know, we kind of thankfully put a few things in place to help me get through it and I did, I think. I feel better now. <laughs> oh, that's so good. And I mean, it's funny because we can, it's so easy to sweep these things under the rug and just believe that we need to soldier through. But, and obviously we all know motherhood has its challenges and is really challenging but it doesn't have to be that hard if you know if you become aware of what it is that's you know challenging you and you start having these conversations and you talk to your healthcare professionals that you know are willing to have these conversations with you and not necessarily just go like and I'm all for medication for the right purposes but not just bang you on a tablet just because of oh that's that's that that's what it is but you know finding people and healers and um professionals who are willing to dig a little bit deeper um and nutritionally you found because you're now studying with oh baby is it that's right yeah yeah which i'm so excited about by the way um you are learning so much about nutrition and the micronutrients that we become so depleted in that can actually make a huge difference to our symptoms. Oh, definitely, yeah. So, and I mean, nutrition's definitely not the only thing. Like, there's a lot of things that play in postnatal depletion, mm -hmm. um, but that can be one. And I find when we when we want to change one thing, we the other things sort of fall into place. You know, yeah. when you try to sort of change your health, other things just naturally, you'll, you'll naturally change other things as well. So if you start eating better, you're probably also more likely to be a bit more active. 
which yeah. means you should be a bit more likely to go out in the sun, which means you might sleep better, you know. So it kind of, once we sort of get the ball rolling on one thing, I find the other things do also follow, which is good. Absolutely, because it's not, it is, it can't just be one, one thing. No, so it's, many things, yeah. You yeah. can have a good diet and still be depleted, you know, in some regards, definitely. But what I focus on with my pages, yeah, the, the nutrient nutritional um, wise, how to how to help yourself. So, so what are some of the things that you found that we can do to support ourselves through a stage of life, like the early years of motherhood that that takes so much from us? What are some of the things that you could um, you'd advise people? Just without obviously, it's such a personal thing because every woman and um, parenting situation is different, but what are some of the things that we can do as a general um, idea to support ourselves through, you know, those <laughs> sleepless nights or those really taxing times where we may not, well, we're often not our first priority, which, you know, we need to be up there as well on our list of priorities, don't we? Oh, definitely. Well, yeah, and I suppose the first thing is trying to, get rid of the guilt and shame that you feel about putting yourself first mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, if, if we're the captain of the ship and if we sink, the whole boat sinks. Um, but nutritionally-wise, there's certain things that all breast, at least breastfeeding mothers should do. Um, and I focus on breastfeeding mothers because they are the ones more at risk of depletion from the micronutrients because – that's when you are giving your own stores to the baby. Mm-hmm. So that's – I'm not saying that's any different to formula feeding, but that's sort of what I focus on if you're wondering why I keep saying breastfeeding. Yeah, no, you're good. <laughs> but, yeah, I think like all breastfeeding mothers and something that is really that not well known is that we should really be staying on a prenatal multivitamin until we finish breastfeeding, which could be a couple of years. And See, no one really knows that because you have the baby and then, you, you know, I'm sure would you agree you just stop taking it? Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> totally. It's like, oh, I've had the baby. The baby doesn't need it anymore. Like, but that is the time when we need it more than ever um, because we are giving up even more of our stores. Like, yes, we created the human, but now we're going to nourish them. Or like even if you're not breastfeeding, you're still going to be giving more of yourself to you know like to your family and to everything like that and not getting the ideal amount of sleep and you know so you are going to be burning the candle at both ends yeah and so I found that so fascinating because also it's all well and good to be taking a prenatal but not all prenatals are created equally are they no definitely not (laughs) I I always advise to um stay away from anything that you can buy at Coles or Woolworths Mm-hmm. or even a general chemist, to be honest, and to go to a health food store or a naturopath and get one that's made from whole foods um, because otherwise they're made from synthetic ingredients. And even though, say, for instance, one of the nutrients, iron, um, even though the iron milligrams may be the same, it, one that you can buy from Coles or Woolworths is going to be um, made from a synthetic ingredient, so they're generally not absorbed very well, or the body doesn't handle them very well. And so, if you are ever someone, perhaps on an, I say iron because it's a, 
most people have taken iron before mm-hmm. when they're pregnant. You know, if you're someone that didn't tolerate iron very well, which not many people do, it's generally because of the the form that it was from. It was a synthetic man-made form that our body just does not tolerate well and it tends to make us feel really nauseous or constipated or get diarrhea, um, which isn't what you want to feel like, especially if you're going to take them for the next two years. Yeah. How's about that glow? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I hear so many people say, oh, I stopped taking them because they make me feel ill. And I think, well, that you weren't taking the right form then. Yeah. Um, or some of the whole foods ones can also make you feel a little bit like that. But there's certain ways, you know, you can take half in the morning, half at night, and that's going to make you feel a lot better as well. Um, taking them with food. Taking them with food, yeah. But, I mean, the instructions are generally on the back. But oh, yeah, I'm not a doctor, so don't listen to me if it says not, don't take it with food, don't take okay. it with food. I'm not a doctor. Anyone, yeah. I always recommend that. It's very individualised, but that's something that, that doesn't need to be individualised, so I'm happy to recommend that to anybody. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I think every breastfeeding mother um, – or a lot of people anyway, should be on is an omega-3 DHA. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if, so a really good quality fish oil or cod liver oil. Um, and that will really help with that mum brain. So that's a really beneficial one as well. Yeah. I give that to the kids as well. Um, and even though, it, you know, you think cod liver oil, they're not going to have that. If you get them used to these things, you know, at a young age, they, my four-year-old asks for it every day now. It's like a little treat or something for He's him. He's such a trooper. He's so cute. It's, yeah, it's yeah. one of those things. And I notice I do it and I my mum does it. Like now um, my youngest, Oki, is a way better eater than Archer, although mm. Archer's starting to come round. But that's probably because I've been following your account and watching what your kids eat and a lot of other people where I'm like, oh, my God. Okay, and so – the, the difference being I'd always made, like now I'm trying, the kids eat what I eat mostly. Um, and like I'll load my plates up with like baby spinach and all of these things. But my kids, I always thought they won't eat that. There's no way they're going to eat that. Mm-hmm. And now Oki, obviously he's still, he's only two, so he's not like chowing down on leaves of spinach. But he's into my plate, like, and he's trying different things. He wants to try the feta cheese or the olives or, you know, whatever it is that's in there that, you know, he wouldn't normally, I wouldn't normally offer up. He's now just naturally willing to try it and gravitate more to it. And salmon, like Archer won't touch salmon because I didn't really ever try him with it. Whereas now whenever I have that Oki, we'll eat like a whole big piece of salmon, not even bad an eyelid. That's awesome. And and it's good. <laughs> yeah, and it's just that um, as well. You know, when someone goes, "Do you want to try it?" and or if they go, "Can I try it?" A mum's instinct is to say, "You won't like it." Yes, that's right. And then we just we it. slam ourselves in the foot before yes. they've even had. You know, like we're telling them they won't like it before they've even tried it, and oh. yeah. So that is a little tip. I think I I think you said that. Yeah, I think so I saw it somewhere on your page. Yeah. Um, How do we know they won't like it? That's just our expectations on them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. I, I always try and 
teach mums to not say those little words and they, they do come out and I, my husband says it all the time and I'm always like, shh. Yeah. <laughs> Zip it. Yeah. <laughs> Go back outside. No, isn't that terrible? That's a generalization because men are allowed in the kitchen as well. Um, I wish mine was in there more. Trust me. Yeah. How nice would that my be? Son, my son who's four now used to love mushrooms and my husband hates mushrooms and my husband kept saying, oh, yuck, how can you eat that? How can you eat that? And now he won't eat mushrooms. Oh. You did that. You know, that was just you you saying those words to him all of the time has made him not like mushrooms because he used to love them. That's it. So it's a little pet hate of mine. <laughs> such like sponges and, you know, I know like I've got friends with three and four children and they're making two and three different meals a night and the rest of it and that's exhausting. Like we, we – but I get that if you have come from – you know, not feeding, well, feeding your children entirely different things to yourself, that it is going to take, you know, a, a few minutes for them to gravitate backwards, but um, uh, gravitate towards what you're eating and get the whole family eating, you know, a variety of whole foods and, you know, that sort of thing. Again, I totally get that. Um but any step towards that direction to make things easier for you as well has got to be a giant step in the right direction. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's the reason I love baby-led weaning because it's not so much, any, well, it's nothing to do with the title or anything like that. It's more that that will make mums eat better because the aim is that baby eats what mum eats. And if mum, you know, us as mums are so want their babies and children to to have the best of everything and eat the best of everything and we often end up living off of their scraps of food and toast and we don't ever make ourselves a meal. Yes. So my, my passion, I suppose, is, yeah, if we do baby-led weaning, which means that that's a fancy word of saying finger foods really instead of spoon feeding, mm-hmm. if we do that, then that means that baby eats what we eat and so that means that we will end up eating a much more nourishing meal and that baby will eat little bits of our meal. And like you said, they mimic what we do and what we eat and they want to eat what we're eating. Um, and so we just need to play on that from the early age. And so then if we mimic eating really, really nutrient-dense um, whole foods, they're going to be the same. Then. They're not going to know what junk food is or, you know, all these processed foods that are man-made now if we don't eat them ourselves or offer them to them. We have a really op- good opportunity and the young age to, to um, you know, hide all of those foods from them. They don't need to know that they exist. Totally. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Now, I know when I've been in circles with mums and the topic of, like, giving purees or baby-led weaning comes up, we're often really frightened to give our kids, like, solid foods because, you know, we're fearful that they're going to choke, right? So, but kids have a pretty, like, obviously you've got to be conscious of what you're feeding them and letting them have, but they've got a pretty, like, A-plus gag reflex, don't they? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's, um, and a gag and a choke is very different. Um, so a gag is often very dramatic and scary sounding and loud and coughing and sometimes even vomiting. Mm-hmm. And, and that can really scare us when we hear that and see it for the first time, definitely. 
Um, whereas a choke is silent. Mm-hmm. A choke is when the airway is completely occluded. So it will generally happen with round objects that are the shape of a windpipe. So um, cherry tomatoes or grapes, you know, kind of the big culprits. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can definitely minimize the choking risk by giving, um, you know, foods that aren't in that shape. So I always say to offer finger-shaped foods, so the length and shape of a finger. And you also want the foods to be able to, if you imagine it in your mouth, in your palate, if you could squash that food between your tongue and your palate, then that's a really good, safe softness to start with. Um, So, you know, foods like a really ripe avocado or a really, really steamed pear or sweet potato or pumpkin, they're going to be a really low risk for actual choking because by the time they get to their, their airway, they're going to squash up and, and come out easily. Um, but the gagging is um, very common and it's actually a good thing to, to let them gag because it will strengthen that reflex. And by the time that they turn one, the gag reflex is, has moved back quite a lot further into the mouth so you won't notice gagging as much because one they've learned how far they can put food back into their mouth and how much food they can put in their mouth but also because it has moved back further like like in adults they just don't do it as much anymore which is good (laughs) thank god it's awful like I it's that the gagging just makes you like (gasps) And then it's like your instincts are okay. We're gonna we're not gonna have this now. I'm gonna puree everything for the rest of your life, um, <laughs> when it's actually totally an okay thing to do. Um, one thing that another well another thing that I wanted to touch on as well is that you spoke about at your workshop with Sean Bastock, who mm-hmm. is actually going to be on here next week. Um, is visitors and uh, that postnatal period of um you know that high visitation turnover where everyone wants to come and see the baby and it just is not an awesome idea is it (laughs) no well anyone that's had a baby probably would now agree that um you know one of the things that they sort of regret was allowing so many visitors in in those first couple of weeks um and honestly, it's mainly because visitors don't come to see the mother. They come to see the baby. Um, and the mother's often quite neglected in that time. So, you know, they'll come. They often will, will spend an hour or so there. They want to hold the baby the whole time, even though it might be feed time or nap time or a time that the mother should be resting or sleeping. Um, they're expected to you know, be, look presentable and be able to talk and host mm-hmm. a lot of the time because people don't bring things or they drink your cups of tea and leave their teacups when they leave for you to clean up. You know, there's it's um it's taking it's, me back. Right. It's oh, taking me back. An intention at all. They come, you know, with a pure heart and just want to, you know, be there for you and see the baby, which is so nice. But um, yeah, there's there's a I guess a saying that I've put on my account saying um, you should have no visitors, only staff. Yes. Yeah, which was actually out <laughs> Oscar Saralak's book, The Postnatal Depletion Cure, which is a really amazing book if anyone wants to read it. 
Um, but the yeah, like that people should come with the um, can, you know preconceived idea that they are coming there to help you and not just to be a visitor. That they should be coming armed with a meal. They should be coming ready to do jobs. Um, they should be coming ready to see you at your worst and not expect anything of you. And one of the things I say is if if they um, don't feel, if you feel like you can't just go to somebody's house and, you know, just go and do their washing or clean up or do the dishes, then you probably shouldn't be there in the first week or two. Like you're probably really not close enough to be in her space at that time, which can I'm... sound confronting. <laughs> No, I think it's amazing. I think it's so important that this is spoken about because it also is giving because you want it's that it's that double-edged sword. Like you want everyone to meet your baby, especially if it's your first like your first time mum and you're so excited, but at that in that's before the baby gets here. Then once the baby gets here, you are often overwhelmed, you're tired, your nipples are probably all sorts of bloody, you're bleeding, you're leaking, you're you probably just there's all the things that you know that might be happening. I by the way, I'm only talking about my experience. Leaking from everywhere. It was not a good time. That's not saying that um I wasn't in love with my baby. I just wasn't as, you know, my most publicly presentable nor feeling my most effervescent self. So then to have to, you know, feel like you've got to put on a show for everyone who's coming in or you feel guilty for saying not today or that. So it shouldn't be that way. It's totally okay. Um to say no thank you not today or how about I let you know when I'm ready for visitors and just to take your power back over what you and your family and your baby need at that time but if you're feeling like heaps of visitors right feel your boots like go for it but if you're not don't feel bad about you know owning your space and your time because it is such a small window where you don't every day is going to be different in those first few weeks and you just don't know how you're going to feel and cancelling plans is okay. That's right, yeah. Yeah, we need to give ourselves the okay for that, definitely. I love it. I love it when someone cancels plans. <laughs> just like, like, you know, like when it's cold or something and you, well, you met the person who, the Katie that makes plans at like 8 a.m. versus the Katie that has to follow through with the plans at okay. like 7 p.m., Two totally different people. You're funny. Yeah, I'm, see, like, I'm, I'm generally the planner of events, so I'm like the one like, come on, everyone, let's go. Oh, but I'm so glad you do because I, I'm always there. I'm always like, yep, yeah. I'm down. I'm totally there. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm never, I'm never upset if someone cancels because then I'm like, oh sweet, I will just take my bra off and I'll just kick back. It's totally fine. But anyway, that's a totally other topic. So I love love your page and I'm so grateful that you do all you do and sharing your knowledge and insights on Insta. I'm so proud of you. You cover such a wide variety of topics and it's so easy for mums to be triggered like with different things. How have you found that? Because I know it's really hard to cover all the bases with, you know, like motherhood's such a triggering topic anyway, but I know like breastfeeding, not breastfeeding, vaginal birth, C-section, 
it must you must have had at some point women feeling like oh you know like about certain different topics or has it been totally received like really positively uh look to be honest that in general very positive because I think the people that follow me um you know generally align with my viewpoints which is but yeah definitely I get a lot of um keyboard warriors who who like to voice their opinion but I'm so used to it from my work as a midwife and feeling like you have to tiptoe around certain topics however I try not to tiptoe around certain topics because that's not always doing a justice to things. So I'll never, I'll never agree that formula is as good as breastfeeding because it's not. Yeah. But I'm so thankful that we have formula for the people who can't breastfeed. Like I'll, I'll never say that it's the same because it's not, and there's so much science to back it up. Um, totally. So I don't agree with the whole fed is best statement. However, fed is better than not fed. And if breastfeeding is affecting your mental health, then don't do it. You know, that's that's your call. Like it's not it's not for anyone to judge, but I'll never agree that it's the same. But I would never judge you for not breastfeeding. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. Yeah. And that's such an important thing to bring up because it is. It's and like you no one knows what it's like to be in your shoes and the situations and we all know breast milk is best. Like the fact that breast milk can morph into what your baby needs, like yeah. there's never going to be a product never. that there can never. mimic that. Like it's or just not. The nutrients, but it's not a live bacteria. It will never, it will never meet the standards of breast milk. However, if breastfeeding, yeah, was causing you to have postnatal depression or psychosis, then a healthy mother is better for the baby than breast milk, you know. So we have to weigh up what's best for oh, us. Totally. And I had to, like, I had a, my archer weaned himself at six months, didn't want yeah. the boob anymore. That was his choice, wasn't into it. Whereas mm. with Oki as well, I started getting, I started having to comp feed happily by, he was completely off the boob by three months because I kept getting mastitis. And I had a call, I think I had like four episodes of antibiotic treated mastitis within 11 weeks or, and it was just like, this is not going to, this is knocking me for six. This is, this antibiotics is not going to be good for him and the breast milk anyway. And me not being able to look after my toddler as well. It's, that was just the decision. Okay. Yep. We tried, we can't based on all these factors and then thank fluff, we had good quality substitutes to go yeah, with. That's right. Yeah. And that's what I think should be considered as is the next best option. Yes, it is the next best option. But, and, uh, and I think my work as a midwife, I guess, because people, I've had two relatively very easy breastfeeding journeys. Um you know, the odd mastitis here and there and everything, but I fed Flynn till he was two and I'm still feeding Florence now at 16 months, you know, and that's fine. But I think because I work as a midwife and I get to see the insights of helping others with their breastfeeding hardships, I can completely understand why some people wouldn't do it or, or can't physically do it. 
completely. And so that's why I feel like I don't have any judgment towards because I, I see so many different situations, you know, where the babies go to the intensive care and they're separated and then they get a low supply and then they're constantly trying to catch up and then they, you know, yeah, the baby starts to prefer the formula and then they reject the mother. Like there's so many different stories like that. And so you just can never judge anybody um, decision why they did that as long all I care about is that the decision was evidence-based that they don't just say oh formula is the same because the formula company told me that it's the same and so they don't breastfeed like that's what irks me and yeah I a little bit and that's when I'm like well no I'm you know and I'm not gonna say agree with that totally and I but love it- that you have these conversations I love <laughs> that you're um educating informing in a non-judgmental way but also opening our eyes up to things that we probably didn't even know before because it is so um you know like in terms of like the media and the systems and all of that we are only often given the information that we're given and then there's other options and everything out there um if we're willing to look for it and sometimes we didn't we don't even know what to look for and so I love that you touch on that so much with Boob to Food and so many different areas. But you are just about to embark on a brand new journey on many wheels very soon. Talk <laughs> us through that. People keep saying, where have you moved to? And I say, oh, a caravan. It <laughs> 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 doesn't sound great. <laughs> We've moved into a caravan. Um, and yeah, we're... I leave on Saturday. We're about to um, go around Australia for the next eight months. Wow. Fun. I cannot wait. Yeah. It's going to be phenomenal. I can't wait to see what you cook up in (laughs) the van and see how you guys manage all of that on the road and the experiences that you guys all, you know, take us along with where you can, obviously, Because your first and foremost will be, you know, to be present, I'm sure. But then it's also really nice for me (laughs) to to follow along. It'll be really, really cool. I'm so glad that you guys are doing that. Oh, thanks. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, well, you'll have to come back on the podcast and tell us all about what life was like taking two little people on the road and traveling Australia and living in a van for eight months. I said we may, I joke and say we may come back divorced, but well, hopefully not. <laughs> hey, dude, you'll be in good company. We can talk about that too. <laughs> no, you'll be fine. You, you won't have the pressures that right. you That's do here. Although, have you ever, like, have you and Jesse ever had to, like, reverse the caravan onto a spot? Because I have seen not the most... Together gnarly arguments happen what everyone says like parking a van and setting it up is just so intense well we bought walkie-talkies so that we could um instead of yelling at each other to where to turn we could just walkie-talkie to each other so you're already all over it you're already i'd be just like under my breath i said left yes (laughs) that would be us normally i'm so sorry so i would yeah well Luca, where can everyone find you if they want to come and track you down um well generally instagram's the best place because i forget to upload everywhere else but instagram my name's boob to food but i do have a website um boob to food.com.au yay remember i put things on there 
Nice. <laughs> and you also, do you have an ebook out now or are you bringing one out? I have one coming out in the next couple of days, which is a postpartum <gasps> ebook. Oh. Um, yeah, which I've been sneakily working on. Um, and when I'm on the road, I am hoping to write my baby food ebook, which will be, I suppose, what I want to consider to be my product, my, my little baby. So I've put a lot of effort into that one. Oh my goodness. That's so yeah. exciting. And yeah. I'll, I'll be absolutely sharing on my page as well. Um, when they come out so you guys can, you know, grab it if you haven't already from Luca's page. Thank you so much for sharing so much of your time with us this afternoon, Luca. Like, honestly, so much wisdom in your little noggin that is going to be helping so many women and families like all over Australia and internationally who are listening to this and who get to connect with you on Instagram because you've really formed such a beautiful, loving and aligned community there. Yeah. Thank you. I feel like that. (laughs) And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Katie. Have a nice day.